Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to episode 147 of Awards Chatter, the Hollywood Reporters Awards podcast. I'm the host, Scott Feinberg, and this very special episode, a roundtable conversation with five actresses who are nominated for a Tony this year, is brought to you by the iconic Empire Hotel on New York's Upper West Side. I should note that the Tonys, Broadway's biggest night, will air nationwide on June 11th on CBS. Our guests today are... Danae Benton, who's playing Natasha, a 19-year-old countess engaged to one man but then ensnared by another in 1812 Moscow in the musical Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812. Christine Ebersole, who's playing Elizabeth Arden, a cosmetics pioneer and independent businesswoman in mid-20th century America in the musical War Paint. Jennifer Ely, who's playing Mona Jewell, a level-headed official in Norway's foreign ministry who helps to broker landmark advances towards peace in the Middle East between 1992 and 1993 in the play Oslo. Sally Field, who until May 21st was playing Amanda Wingfield, a former Southern Belle now raising her two children under trying circumstances in 1937 St. Louis in the play The Glass Menagerie. And Laura Linney, who's playing Regina a calculating woman from a complicated family in 1900 Alabama, and on other days, Bertie, a sweet and wounded woman from the same family, in the play The Little Foxes. Thank you all so much for sharing your off day with us. Uh, I know it's very valuable. So to begin with, just want to ask about how you came to uh, these particular roles, uh, and in Laura's case, it is roles. Uh, you're playing two different characters here. You know, they're really... I think it's fair to say totally opposite types of people. How did you and Cynthia Nixon arrive at this arrangement where I guess every other performance you trade off? Well, uh, Manhattan Theatre Club had approached me about doing The Little Foxes and and I, you know, it's one of those plays that you think you know and then you read it and you realize, oh, I really don't know it. And as I was reading it, I realized I understood Birdie much more than I understood Regina. I asked the theater if I could play Birdie instead and they said no. <laughs> they said no, you have to play Regina. And I sort of put it off for a while and then another season went by and then another season went by and they came back again and said how, how about it and I said well, I said okay, absolutely, it's with my favorite director Dan Sullivan, yes of course I will. Uh, about a week went by and I was, in the back of my brain I had remembered that Cynthia Nixon had always wanted to play Regina. And there's something about these great parts that once they're done, they sort of, they hibernate then for another decade, and then they come back. And great parts are meant to be played. 
and they're meant to be played by good people. And I thought, well, why not? If this is something that she really wants to do, if it's something she'd be willing to do, I called Dan Sullivan and I said, I have this crazy idea. What if we play Birdie and Regina in, in rep? I thought it would be good for the play. I was very curious to see what it would do to a play itself. Thematically, what would it heighten? What would it lessen? How would a company re react? What would it be like to play two things? So, um, so he went for it and then he called Lynn Meadow and she went for it and then they called Cynthia and she went for it <laughs> and we've had an amazing time. That's great. And it's something that men do quite often but women um, have never been given the opportunity so I'm very grateful to Manhattan Theatre Club for letting us do it. Well, Christine, one of the things that's rare and special about your show is there aren't too many musicals where there are two women front and center and in your case it's, it's you as Arden and Patti LuPone as her rival uh, uh, Helen Rubinstein and uh, I guess, first of all, it would be interesting. I wonder if you guys would ever have considered something like this where you could, these are very different women, but. I but, hadn't really thought about it. Oh, yeah, <laughs> it's an uncommon. It would be really challenging. Yeah, but uh, I guess before even going any further with that, how did you two wind up in these parts working together? Did you know each other? And, and, uh, and it's been 11 years since we've seen you in a musical on Broadway, That's so. Correct, yeah. Yeah. Well, um, Patty had been working on the musical longer than I had. I was brought into it last year. They had been working on it several years before that. And I got a call from Scott Frankel one day and was offered the role, so I jumped on board. It was the same creative team that brought you Grey Gardens, yes. so we had a history together. I've known Patty for 40 years, just being in the business in New York, and this is the first time that we work together, and it's been really thrilling, and I find her very inspirational. Well, Sally, the part of Amanda is one that seems to have intrigued you for a long time, certainly at least as far back as 2004 when you played her at a festival, uh, I think celebrating Tennessee Williams in uh, D.C. at the Kennedy Center. Um, how 13 years later did you wind up returning to this part and, and why? Uh, and, and we should note, it's, this is your second time Broadway after it's been uh, 15 years, so were you just looking generally to come back, or was it something specifically about this part? Well, uh, you know, this is, as, as Laura said, the, you know, this is one of the roles um, for women that always hovers somewhere in your mind, when can you do it and how often can you do it? But this came to me um, through Scott Rudin um, and Sam Gold. There was a production not long ago, and so the, the, the thought was, well, they're going to have to put this to bed, glass to bed for another 10 years and not bring it back. But Sam Gold had done it, uh, a production of it in Amsterdam and fallen in love with the play in a way that he didn't think he ever would um, and wanted to do a version of what he'd done in Amsterdam uh, in, uh, here on Broadway. And so Scott and Sam called me and said, would I come on board with this? But be very mindful, it was not going to be your Aunt Gladys's <laughs> glass menagerie. This was not going to be, um, this was really Sam Gold kind of pulling the pieces apart in an in a interesting and bold way. Um, and so, of course, I said, yes, I would like to do that. And I, I would have been here uh, in New York on Broadway as much as I could, but I was always raising children yes. somewhere else. Yeah. Welcome back. Uh, Jennifer, it's been 10 years since we've seen you on Broadway. And, uh, and in your case, uh, I want the show marks a reunion with, uh, with a writer who it's, it's a, really kind of an interesting story how far back you guys go. Yes, we overlapped at North Carolina School of the Arts. Um, I was just there for one year, and J.T. Rogers 
who wrote Oslo is, was in the year above me. And back then he was writing sometimes. He would write speeches and the, the school didn't like that because when people were doing monologue, they wanted it to be an established right. author. And so um, it, he would make up names and sort of surreptitiously <laughs> slip people monologues every now and then and say, if you ever want to do it. And I was, I was a freshman and um, one day it was quite a, you know, it seemed like a really cool thing yeah. to have JT give it. And he came up and he, I remember the piece of paper and he'd written this speech about a, a girl who was heartbroken and ate an entire chocolate cake to comfort herself. Um, so yes, and then we had years where we would run into each other every now and then, but we didn't know each other very well. And then he suddenly emailed me December 15 and said, we're doing a workshop in January. And back at the theater, and where? The, my favorite place to work in the world. When were you first at the Beaumont Theater in Lincoln Center? When I was three years old, I remember being uh, standing at the back of the Beaumont um, while my mother, Rosemary Harris, was teching um, Streetcar Named Desire, playing Blanche. And her ex-husband, who I was very, very close to, standing, I remember his little skinny jeans, 1970s <laughs> jean butt, <laughs> trying to block me from seeing them tech the rape scene. Oh, really? really? And, um, so yes, and he also, because he would have street scenes happen around, um, it was sort of a set with a lot of space around it, and he would have street scenes. And for a few matinees, Patricia Conley, who was playing Stella, her daughter, and me, and the Stanley son would walk across the back of the stage holding, <laughs> holding balloons and being a birthday party. And I remember seeing her stand behind a flat, because she was supposed to be in the bathroom, really? as in the bathtub as Blanche, and going, shh, shh, shh. <laughs> And I remember the feeling of that, that feeling of, an audience of right. that that palpable dark kind of something right. other otherness and I remember that Danae the the great comet is just to reiterate you're you're playing a, a Russian countess uh, from 70 pages of war and peace that's where the show comes from and I think it's it's fair to say that for much of theater history a Russian countess in war and peace the the sort of reflexive move of people would have been to cast a white actress in this part. Um, however, in recent years, particularly after Hamilton, people I think have exhibited just displayed more imagination about what you can do. This whole concept of what some people call colorblind casting, others other names. And I just wonder for you though, I'm curious how this now works because we've seen it this year with Amelie and with a number of shows. Is it somebody with imagination coming and saying we know? Danae is a great actress and we want, we want to go after her for this part? Or is it you saying, I, even though it doesn't necessarily on paper read as a, as a, as a part that is obvious, I want, to, I want to show that I can do it? How did this come together? Well, this is my Broadway debut, so yes. I'm not in the position to be being offered roles. Like, I auditioned for it. There was, I came through my agency's office. And Natasha was actually always played by a woman of color because Philippa did it uh, when it was off-Broadway. Yep. And she was busy with Hamilton when they were moving it to ART, and yeah. so they opened up auditions. And I remember getting it through my email and seeing and hearing the song No One Else and really connecting to it. And I just felt like my essence understood Natasha in a very real way. And I had the fear and I called my manager. I was like, are you sure they're not looking for like a pretty white soprano? <laughs> and, um, but I felt like I could do it really well. And I went to the audition and there was me, there were Asian women, there were Hispanic women. Because for me, it's less about the fact that Natasha is Russian and everyone here talked about these great roles, right? And it's like every actor, actress wants to play a great mm -hmm. role. And Natasha is one of those. And the archetype that she represents of innocence and beauty and light in this coming of age, uh, she's the every girl. And to me, 
every girl should have access to playing the every girl because I'm not the first person to discover that the images we see affect the world we live in. So on that level, it's exciting and thrilling to see the black girls who come to see the show and I see their eyes lighting up that this is possible. Um, and then on the other hand, it's just a great part and I'm happy that I get to do it. And it's, you mentioned young girls that might be inspired by this. It what was the, what got you into uh, the idea of pursuing Broadway? Did I hear about a Cinderella from the Yeah, 90s? there were a couple things. I mean, I was always a dramatic kid. Yeah. Like, I loved it. It yeah. was just like the magic of it all. It, it, it felt like I had a crush on that, you right. know? Um, but yeah, the Brandy Whitney Cinderella when I was like, I think it was the 90s, I was like seven. I was like yeah. little and I watched it over and over and over right. again and I was obsessed. It was like Whoopi was the mom, Victor Garber was the dad and it was, Fairy tale, yeah. so who cares, right? right. And um, so yeah, that was very inspiring to me. Now, is there anything else about Broadway as, as you know your first time here that has taken you by surprise? I mean, you certainly were with this part for a while before. Um, you've no shortage of experience with theater, but what is it about Broadway that, if you had to pinpoint one thing that you didn't expect, what would that be? This is the hardest role I've ever done thus far, and you don't have time to recover, right? It's like <laughs> you finish the show and you're just sort of this empty sponge, but then like the rest of your life is waiting for you to be a human. And it's, for me, it's just not there. Right. So this show gets yes. the best part of myself that I have to give right now. And so it, there is actually another actor, uh, Someone put me in contact with Leslie Odom Jr. Yeah. And I, I talked to him and he was like, don't put pressure on yourself to feel normal right now. <laughs> and once I kind of stopped doing that, it was helpful. But it was challenging. Everyone's like, is this amazing? It is a dream. You're like, yes, but I kind of feel like I'm dying. Right. But I'm happy, <laughs> I think. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. So it's so just, they always say, it's, like, are you having fun? I know. Like, I had to, to tell my dad to stop go, asking well, that. Well, fun is a, is a relative word. <laughs> yes. Fun? I'm sure that's somewhere in the mix, but that right. wouldn't be the first word. <laughs> exactly. There's been a, a very varied mix of uh, original plays and musicals versus revivals. Does, does it make your life any easier to play a part that you've seen before, that you've seen how other people have interpreted it? Um, you know, and, and I actually want to start with Christine and Jennifer on this because you, you've both done uh, a bunch of both sorts and in fact both won a Tony for a, an original and for a revival. So is there any difference for you as the actor approaching the, the project? I think it's challenging to do a revival because oftentimes you don't win. You're always compared to the person who did it and you're not as piquant or whatever those phrases that they use about the person who originally did it. So it's always, I think, more satisfying to do an original piece, you know, and um, you're creating it for the first time. Right. And that's certainly the case with, with Warpaint and, uh, and also Oslo. Are you, is it your, do you agree with that assessment? I don't know. I've never thought about it before. The idea of ever doing it on Broadway was, I mean, it was impossible. I mean, mm -hmm. it wasn't on the cards. It didn't yeah. feel like a revival for some reason. Yeah. I guess because it was the Dalmar and it was just that thing of like, you know, being in a room trying to figure out how to make this right. work. And Coast of Utopia, I guess, sort of felt like it was, well, it was new to Broadway. Mm -hmm. This was different because I, this, we were, the play was still changing. And, um, but that was exciting. And there are a lot of moving parts with this. There's, you know, accent and we move a lot of furniture. Yes, we're going to get to that. Um, Sally, why, you know, somebody who maybe hasn't had a chance yet to see your show and hears that, you know, Glass Menagerie debuted in 1945. I think this is the, the seventh revival of it. As you mentioned, one as recently as four years ago. 
Why is it important for a show like this to continue to be revived? Why, and to you as an actress, to be a part of a, a revival? You know, it is a great part, but is there, is, are there always new things that somebody can bring to it? I can't, I can't really answer the question of why it's important to, you know, have another revival of the show. I don't, I don't know. Um, it is a very bold um, look at it um, that Sam Gold wanted to do. Um, and so, of course, that would be interesting and in that I had done it before and now I was recreating it, in a, in a, but in a different way um, through Sam's vision of a story he wanted to tell. So, I mean, certainly I think we all feel that great literature always invites interpretation and bold interpretation, especially for something that you feel has been done so frequently, I think is always interesting for, for actors, yeah. even though three-fourths of the time with Sam Gold, I'm going, huh? <laughs> what? I don't know. What? Right, you know. Right. But then, you know, it forces you to have to let go of everything you thought you had to hold on to, and that's always a good thing. Sure. Uh, Laura, I want to read back a quote before I ask the question. This is something that you a few years ago said in an interview. Quote, I really believe it takes about three months for a show to gel. No matter how good or how prepared you are, there are certain things that only time can take care of. It has to cook. Now, Little Fox is open on April 19th. Mm -hmm. We'll close on July 2nd, mm -hmm. just slightly over just those right, three. Just right, just <laughs> right. So we'll have three really good shows. So, uh, <laughs> but but, you know, but I still is, believe that. Does that timetable, though, again, to bring it back just to this question of original versus revival, mm -hmm. is there, can that be moved up in any way by being able in your own mind, or you can, you can perhaps call up a past performance if no. or something like that, Absolutely nothing? Not. No, no, no. It's the, it's the thing that makes the theater different from any other yeah. art form. It's time. And that ingredient is something you can't force, you can't generate. It's just the benefit of earning the time of doing it over and over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. if, you sh if you see a show for opening night, and then you see it a month later, and a month after that, and a month after that, you're gonna see a completely different mm -hmm. experience. It's, it's, it's like a family that knows each other decade after decade after decade. Just your relationship to the table that you sit at, your, your intimacy with the thoughts behind the words, your knowing what to, the person who you're working with. Uh, and it's what I love about the theater more than anything. I know that I'm not gonna really know this play until months after we open, really know it. And there, it's almost like a Chinese puzzle. You get to a point where time allows it to crack open and then there's another set of problems. Mm -hmm. And then you solve those set of problems and then something else cracks open and then there's something else. And it's what, it's the joy of a long run. A lot of people will ask like, how do you do it over and over and over and over and over again? And what I don't think people have experienced is, is how it just keeps you know, unfolding onto itself if it's well written, right. if it's well written. And to see, you know, the chemistry and the alchemy of all of a particular cast together on a particular set with the lights mm -hmm. in that particular house—it's yeah. really—it's it's heaven when you when you get to experience it. Yeah. So I want to ask you about the sense of responsibility that I, I know you all feel to your show. There, you're, none of these are one-woman shows. There's always a lot of people that have to pull their weight for for this to come together. Every performance. What is the moment in your show? when you feel that burden the greatest, where there's something that you have to do or say or, or emote or do something that if you don't pull it off, you feel like you've, you know, that's the key moment for you to, to, to deliver. Christine, is there a moment in your show? Song even? Well, in Warpaint, I find that it's 
when I first appear on stage. It's kind of the launching, you know, that helps me get into the space and inhabit it. And so there's like a high B flat that I've got to sustain and hit oh <laughs> every night. So, oh um, you know, once I get through that, <laughs> everything's golden pretty much. Jennifer? My character is um, a character within the play, but she's also the narrator. If I can feel that I'm leading them by the nose mm -hmm. as opposed to hauling them by a rope around their neck. Yes. You know? So I guess to get that, and it's, again, it's just, I mean, I did it last summer for three months, and the last two weeks were fabulous. Mm -hmm. and, um, and then we had six months of gestation, and now we're doing it again. Uh, but I know it will still be another three months because we have you know, the space, space new yeah. space, new so many things. And, um, but I'm just navigating that, um, leading them, you know, feeling their muzzle is, yeah. is really uh, is fun. Our show kind of never stops moving, and I never leave the stage, and there's stairs and corsets and gowns, and it's, it's a beautiful spectacle at some points. Uh, but the very last scene, you know, Natasha feels like she's ruined her life, and I've tried to commit suicide, and I, it, everything's sort of stripped away, and it's just Pierre and I, and it's just the piano, and it's, the lights are completely up, and it's a moment of, like, the real br tearful breakdown of, like, what have I done? And I do, it's kind of the heart of the show, and that's sort of when the humanity sinks in and the grace sinks in. So if I don't feel like that moment was truthful, I'm like, the whole performance right. was ruined. <laughs> but, um, so I would say that's probably the moment that I put the most pressure on and myself. And you kind of, as you say, at the same time, having to emote this, descending stairs and all yeah, kinds of Yeah, and stuff. then there's like an audience member right here. Right. But then they're also back in the mezzanine. And so it's like, it's a very, the, the energy sharing, it's very all-encompassing. So it's sort of things you don't really think about when you're just in a proscenium. Uh, just the intimacy of like, I'm not faking anything here. Right. The lights are up when you're right there. So if they're not there, you know. I know, I think we so. should say for, for <laughs> viewers that the set, or basically the Imperial Theater for your show has been completely redone in a way mm -hmm. that it, to look like a Russian dinner theater. So you have a catwalk essentially going to the rear to of the, the orchestra. orchestra. You have a pit on the stage surrounded by audience members sitting on the stage. So they are literally, when, when you say in your face, they are in your face. Yeah. Um, it's very vulnerable to yes, say the least. Yes. So, yeah. Sally, what's the moment for you? Yikes. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I almost can't answer that question because um, I think it would have to be from the very first second um, Amanda appears. I appear, Amanda appears, because at that moment, like it's one of the hardest things because Sam doesn't want us totally in character yet. So try doing that. The hardest place for me is like from the first moment when I have to drag the um, wheelchair up the stairs in these little high heels that he wanted me to wear that will slip through the cracks in the concrete floor that they pulled. And then I've got to get my, my wonderful co-star, yes. um, Madison um, Ferris, yes. up the stairs um, and back into the chair, which is a workout for both yeah. of us uh, and, and real and true. But the, the blessing in that is that it's real and true. And it's not, you know, anytime you don't have to act, it's a complete blessing. So, but then from that moment on, and the house lights are up and never, we don't have, the house lights go down so, so slowly that no one notices, not even us really, um, but not even until almost halfway through the play. Um, but, I, but I never leave the play and I never, <clears throat> and Amanda never stops driving the play in a really much more fiercely than I think has ever been quite done before. And 
Amanda's the one that changes all of the props, changes the yes. tables, she moves everything around, and and there's no there's no scene breaks, there's no obviously there's no um, act breaks, there's no intermission, and so everything is woven into one. So it it there's not even a transition to think of well the time has moved on because in he wanted it to be memory that just rolls over the top of each other if i can get on the stage without falling over or dropping the chair <laughs> which i could do at any moment um and many times it's been a nip and tuck <laughs> Uh, I lost my shoe once, or I, you know, I'm like, uh, I couldn't get it quite turned around right. Once I've got Maddie back in the chair, I think, okay, I'm, I'm on the horse now. It is, know? it is a jarring. Like I, I, I was, when I when I went to see it, people didn't even realize that they don't the show know was what starting because you literally come in through, I think, the, the side, the side, the audience door, essentially. Yeah. Um, so, and you're down at at the level of the people in the front, but yeah, it's very interesting. Um, yeah. And, and Laura? I think I'm with, with these two ladies. Yeah. I think it's from the very beginning, yeah. or the beginning of every act. There are three acts, in, and it's regardless if, if I'm playing Birdie or Regina. If, if, if it doesn't start right, it can be different, but it has to feel in the groove, mm -hmm. or it has to feel that I'm not ahead of myself or yeah. behind oh, myself, boy, similar to what yeah. Jennifer's saying, that sort of living thought moment where yeah. it is just sort of, um, where you can sort of step on a conveyor belt and the play will take you along, as opposed to moving the conveyor belt yourself. Right. Um, so it's the beginning of every act, I think. Touched upon a little bit of the, of the physical stuff, but I want to hone in more on that. There's the, the work that goes into all of these is incredible. Um, and you know, for a person that goes there to see you guys once, they, they should be reminded this is averaging eight times a week for at least a few months. And, and it's a grind, so I want to ask you, though, a few specifics about that. So, Laura, you mentioned there are two intermissions in your show. Sally, you have none. I wonder, first, just from, from your point of view, you're in your character, you're, you're going, would you prefer a break, Sally? Would you prefer not to have interruptions, Laura? Just let's start there. Once I'm there, and, and like Laura said, I'm in, standing there in the audience, you know, literally, they're right there looking on going, Right. I'm going, oh boy, okay. Um, once once I, I can say to myself, you know, exactly those words, you know, I repeat to myself, own this, own this, don't let it own you, mm -hmm. you know, in those words, don't get ahead of it, don't, don't drag behind it, just click into yeah, it, yeah. you know, just literally like, clink, clink. Mm -hmm. um, and I get the chair up there in, in a, in a fa even if it's all climped, you know, it doesn't matter. I've got the chair up there. It's such an emotional drive for her, so different than any other Amanda. It's so high-pitched, um, both um, emotionally and comedically, and um, toward this sort of Greek ending. We end up in this violent place that glass menagerie? <laughs> what? what? Um, that I'm, I'm tremendously grateful that I don't have to let down because then I can, you know, then I can, then it's, dri it's driving, you know, me, I'm in the car and, you know, we're just going. Right. Um, so I'm, I'm grateful. I'm grateful there's not scene breaks. Much to my surprise, I love our intermissions. Yeah. When I, when I asked Dan, like, are we going to do these two intermissions? He was like, yeah. And I thought, oh God. Is that the way the play was written? This the, it is the way the play is written. Wow. But I find that the, the acts are very potent then, and they come on, they sort of go bang, and then, and then all of a sudden it's over. 
And so what is a two and a half hour experience doesn't feel like it mm -hmm. at all, mm -hmm. nor does it feel like that for me. Mm -hmm. You know, you get on and then it's like, boom, there's the first act and then the second one happens and then the third and they build. Yeah. Um, ironically, the, the act that is the longest feels the shortest. Mm -hmm. um, the third act does feel very, very short. And in reality, it's 10 minutes longer than the, than the others. So. Christine, you and Patty, basically the structure of the show, I, I think is number for number for quite a bit. And then you do have this great duet, If I'd Been a Man. Um, but based on your vast experience with musicals, uh, is there any way to prepare to blow the roof off the place that many times, that off, eight times or whatever a week for however many months? Is there anything you actually can do or you just have to deal with pain management or you know uh, whatever you would call it? It's vocal management, yeah, yeah definitely. Uh, but one of the things that's really exciting about working with Patty, um, she missed a couple of shows because of vocal issues, and um, and the understudy was tr tremendous. I mean, she was absolutely heroic. Um, but the thing is that about working with Patty, I, I say, well, there's no slouching around you, you know? She's always upping my game. I mean, I feel like I'm on the court with, you know, Venus Williams, you know? So I've got to be you know, ready for the ball, you know? And that's what's um, exciting about working with her. Have you figured out things over the years about just how to pace yourself when you're not performing, when you're not on stage or whatever it is that help you with what you have to do? Yeah, it's very different than doing a play. Uh, yeah. You know, when, it's, when you're doing a musical, it's, everything surrounds that muscle, you know? Yeah. The whole day, yeah. the whole week, wow. the whole year. Jennifer, we, we should note or, or re-note re that uh, when you're performing on a stage, not unlike what, what Sally's dealing with, where there's basically not much there, and what, what is there is on you guys to move around and, and deal with. And I, I just wonder, does that impact the rest of what you have to do when you're up there? Is well, that a good thing? Is it enjoyable? You know? Well, when we, <laughs> um, when we were doing it last summer in the off-Broadway, and, and this time, we had... I certainly had cheat sheets in my pockets. I would have to have one for every act that would say what furniture I had to move in that next scene, where I entered from, and so. And because it basically, I, if I'm ever off stage, except for a couple of pee breaks, I do have strategically placed. Thank goodness. But, I wish um, I did. Oh, I bet you do. I yes. Um, but I'm literally, if I'm ever off stage, I, I'm running to get to the next place. Uh, and then, so I had the cheat sheets and just where I go next and what I'm going to have, what furniture I'm going to have to move. And then um, when we came, to, moved up to the Beaumont, I wrote my cheat sheet and I had it in my pocket and we're doing our dress rehearsal. And in the interim, in the six months, I really need reading glasses now. So I didn't think oh, of that. Oh, so I get out, I come off stage oh, and I get out my oh. cheat sheet. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to lights from this and I'm looking at it. I'm like, it says... Run. <laughs> what? Oh no, where am I supposed to be running? I don't know where oh, I'm supposed God. to go. So, That's so funny. Yeah, so now I, ha I then I had to write them really big. Right. Um, and, uh, but now I, I'm, I'm flying solo without the, yeah. without the cheat sheets now. Uh, we so we've established that the staging is, is elaborate and complex and all of that. How do you even prep for that? Because you don't have much time in the theater before you're going with previews or whatever. Um, and it certainly wasn't the same exact setup when you were off-Broadway. So from, from just a choreo choreography point of view and, and all of that, and there's also, I mean, strobe lights. There's, it's, it's, a, it's a barrage of the senses in the best way. But for the people that are up there, and there are something like 33 cast members, 23 of whom I believe like you are making their debut, just 
what is the, what is the, how do you, how do you prepare for that? I was very thankful that I got to do it in Boston because my body was like a mess <laughs> and I hadn't dealt, I hadn't really dealt with having to be that strategic about how I took care of myself. Yeah. And so I kind of prepared this summer. I started going to vocal therapy. I was like rehearsing, singing, running up and down the stairs because the breath support in, is insane. And then you're in a corset and yeah. it's, you know, you, <laughs> there are things you can't really teach yourself how to do until you have them. Um, but in the rehearsal space, it's tricky. We just had tape and like paper diagrams and be like, I'm walking up the mezzanine now. <laughs> and you think it takes seven seconds and then you get there and it takes 15. Yeah. So we really only had six days in the theater. And um, you know, I went from like maybe having gone to physical therapy once in my life and now I see like every specialist New York has to offer. <laughs> <laughs> you know, for like orthopedic shoes to, to the shoulders, to the voice, to, um, to everything. And then you have to obviously be an actor and think of what your character's going through. So it's been, the multitasking of figuring it out. If I ever have to stand still and say every anything on a stage again, I'm yeah. gonna be like, "That's it," <laughs> you know. Right. Um, it's, it's a deep end. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty. It, it's it's pretty insane. It makes sense that there are 23 Broadway debuts because I feel like any seasoned actors would be like, "You want me to do what?" <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um, but we've made magic happen in a way that I don't think anybody really thought was possible, and it feels like still a very truthful narrative that's being told. But the stamina, like some of my cast members, I think average like 60 flights of stairs a night through the backstage stairs to the onstage stairs to everything wow. that literally. Yeah, that. we've all lost like 10 to 15 pounds. It's it's pretty insane. Amazing the physicality of it all. While often also doing instruments. Even yeah, though, playing instruments you know. and singing and belting and crying and they're like, we want okay, you to I do won't everything. Okay, I will the chair up anymore. It's a wheelchair five steps and yes, I can do that. Well, so all of this though begs a question maybe for some. Why put yourself through this stuff? Why, why for, forget about even the, the physical strain and some of the stuff we're talking about. Why do anything eight times a week for months on end, for three hours a night or whatever it may be. What is it about performing in the theater that keeps you coming back? Christine? I have no other skills. <laughs> <laughs> it's by default. Right? Well, okay, I don't... I, I, no, so, I love what I do, yeah. you know? And I have a passion the, for it, so... The, the doing of it, the, the yeah. interaction with the audience? Yes, of course, and, and I, I feel blessed that I was given a gift to sing, so to be able to share that and you know it's it's a wondrous experience. Right. Jennifer it was sort of the family business right but but you've obviously found your own love for it. Yes I love it I, I love it and um, I mean it's there's nothing like it when it's when it's working when it's singing and flying and there there's, and there's just, nothing like it when it's bad and there's <laughs> nothing there is nothing like it when it's bad. <laughs> It oh, is the truth. Right. Yes. <laughs> Sally? Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's what I do. Um, I would have been here a lot earlier, but I was raising kids on that coast. Right. Um, but, yeah, there's nothing like it. There's absolutely nothing like it. It's, without a doubt, the most dangerous, the most alive, um, the most um, thrilling in that way. Um, in that you are, is, these are crafts that we've all learned our, our lifetime. Um, and to be able to, to have that, the immediacy of it, and, and really the, the, the danger of it. I mean, this, there is no safety, this is a dangerous business. 
a dangerous craft. And it's about that, that flight that you get to take. And, and sometimes you criticize, and it wasn't, but you're, it, it's, you are so totally and utterly and completely alive. You, you, you know where your fingers and your toe, you are completely alive. And you're exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> and was it always for you sort of on a pedestal? I remember interviewing you before where you obviously started with great success in television, but at that point the, the dream then was I want to do film, right? And that I can perhaps show that there are more things that I can do. And then that opportunity came along and you certainly showed that. But was theater always the top of the mountain? Yeah, theater was always the top of the mountain because I began, I, I was one of the lucky kids who had a theater arts department, and I wouldn't, you know, was a was a kind of had a troublesome childhood family situation, and so that theater arts department gave me life. At twelve, I found a stage, and it was the first time I could hear my own voice. I could hear my voice talking to me, and I, if, when I got off the stage in the or you know late fifties, I heard only what I was supposed to be, and I lost track on. Uh, what my own self was telling me, I felt and thought, and uh, had no rules attached to me, and so stage was always it for me. Um, I was addicted to it always. I couldn't, I couldn't, I would, I almost didn't graduate high school because I didn't, couldn't do any of the other classes. <laughs> eh, eh, you know, um, but then I got sucked up in another world, um, first television, and then and then film. But but also I had a family there, so. Always in my mind was this was the someday thing. Um, how could I how could I come and do a, a play for six months? You you know with rehearsals and all of that. You're you know it'll be five, close to six months all all in all. Even when you have a you know a good solid sixteen week three month run or something. But what do I say to the kids? Bye bye. Let me know how it all turns out here. <laughs> you know I just I could never figure it out. But um, it's it's sort of a better late than never situation with me. Danae, you're an interesting point because, as you say, this is your first Broadway show. It's obviously gone great. You're in the most nominated show of the whole season. You're up for recognition for your first time out. And I know that you're, you're, you're doing some television now as well. Uh, I'm sure film is going to, you know, be, be next. What do you, how do you think, how, how do you envision theater continuing to factor into your career? Is it something you're always going to want to come back to? Yeah, I think my dream is to be able to do everything. I think they excite me in different ways. Uh, I think theater is one of those things I'd like to come back to and have a little bit more leverage. Yes, and, yeah, you know, because yeah, yeah. you need so much support that you don't necessarily realize that you need to be able to do a role like this this well every night. Um, but it will, it, it's what you fall in love with. It's when you're standing in the center of the stage and showing the world your soul. It's like that feeling that you get. It's pretty magical. Um, so I think I'll always have to do it. Um, but I'd like to dip into the film world yeah. <laughs> and see what that's like. What I would love to do with our remaining few minutes here is just a fun little thing we call rapid fire. Just the first thing that comes to your mind, jump right in. We're not going to go in any order. It's terrifying. This is going to, yeah, but it's, it's, really? it's your, I, I, just, <laughs> I promise it's no? fun. Most unusual ritual that you have during intermission. After at the end of act one, I walk down the, through the VOM and I go past Stephanie. She holds a thing of chocolate covered almonds ah. um, and I take one and that's our ritual. I have handshakes with my stage management. How oh, complex. It's secret, it's secret. That's secret, okay. okay. It's, you a sacred, <laughs> it's a sacred ritual. Right. I go right to my dressing room and waiting for me and there's one of those little six, four ounces bottles of water. <laughs> 
you know? Okay, okay. Except it's not water. <laughs> it's not water. Right. It looks a great deal like a urine sample. Right. And I and from then on, I've got it tucked in my pocket. If I, <laughs> I've got my little urine sample. You've certainly earned that, all right? What is it's it? It's a Chardonnay. Chardonnay. <laughs> Just a it's not really a right, urine right, sample, right. but it looks very much like it. It's a It's nothing, you know, uh, particular. Is you know, there changing a, my lipstick. Yes. And, then uh, Richard comes in and takes the pins out of my hair, um, out of my wig, because I have a very, very quick change uh, where I have to change the wig and costumes and everything in less than a minute. So, oh, I'm just hightailing it to the bathroom. I'm just like <laughs> knocking people out of the way because my, <laughs> my pee breaks are very strategic. Because right. you you're on stage for so long. None of those things you don't think about. <laughs> okay. how, how long are you on stage before you, be, before you get a pee break? Well, nothing compared to you. Oh, okay. I just no. want to know where we, where we it was. But I don't, my bladder is like this big <laughs> okay. and there's so much singing and because water. We're, we're, we're I don't know how you do it. Two hours. We're, our, the, our whole show is two hours and they want us, Sam wanted us closer to us just to two flat, but it's usually two eight. You know, depends. And, and sometimes when I'm, when I'm standing no down there way. with the chair, just before I go up, I go, oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, Oddest thing in your dressing room, Laura Lenny. Odd. Probably me. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, a lot of Russian dolls that fans oh, make. That makes so, okay. That's nice. Yeah. Yeah, that uh -huh, is nice. I have a lovely little thimble that... Um, the stage management team gave me uh, when we did the show last summer. Cynthia Nixon had told me that um, the thimble used to be a symbol. If a woman was in love or had a crush on another woman in a company, they would leave a thimble in their dressing place. <laughs> because it, in, for, in Peter Pan, a kiss, to Peter Pan, a thimble is a kiss. Okay. And um, so that's one of my, that's one of my and it's not odd, but yeah, it's one of my most precious that's things in my dressing room. Yeah. I have a fun pink dressing room, so, um, and the person, my friend Peter Glebo, who did the dressing room, uh, gave me this big poster of Marilyn Monroe standing outside of Elizabeth Arden's. I wouldn't call it odd, but it's pretty great. <laughs> Thoughts about entrance applause, yes or no? No. No. I don't get any. Uh, I don't get any because they can't figure out what's going, what's going on. What's going on? Most annoying thing audience members do. Any kind of movement, breathing, talking, <laughs> sneezing, coughing. Right. I mean, coughing, coughing is, right. like put your hand over your mouth. Do we read reviews? No. no. Nope. I read mine. I was excited. <laughs> it was the first time. <laughs> first time, right. Thank you for your honesty. What you do on your day off. This, this is our day off. This is our day off. <laughs> other than, other yes, than today. We, and we are very great. But you know, average Monday. I take the kids to school. Take kids to school. I drive home after the show. I live two hours away, so I go home after the show Sundays, and then get up at six in the morning, get the kids to school, and then go back and go to bed for three hours, and then wake up and spend a couple hours with my husband, and then drive. No, that's the next day. Sorry, we haven't. I haven't had a normal one for so long. They're all completely bizarre. It's a big blur. It turns into a blur. It really is a blur. Really, really, I really, really had a day off. I don't know what it's like. It's a Monday where the rest of the world is working, and everyone knows you're. They can't get to you until a Monday, so then everyone gets to you on a Monday. The number of performances per week you wish you could do. Six. 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 What are we getting rid of? A matinee. Um, mm -hmm. it, I think Saturday night. Matinees are my Saturday favorite. Saturday night. Oh, I, know. I, know what? I wouldn't mind getting rid of both the matinees. Let's yeah. talk real. Yeah. Non friend or relative whose attendance at your show has meant the most to you? That's oh. not fair. John Glover came very early. I've just admired him for so long, and he was so kind and so supportive. And it's nice when there's someone who you admire who you don't know very well 
who comes back and says you're on the right track. Mm -hmm. Good, mm -hmm. keep yeah. going. Mm -hmm. And it's, it, it's yeah, sort of the oh, only voice so that much. will cut through mm -hmm. because other people know you or they're involved and you think, oh, they don't really, they're just being nice. Right. But it, when someone who, who you admire but don't know and they owe you nothing right. and they make the effort to go good, 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 keep going, that's, that's great. makes a big difference. There was this 16-year-old girl who saw our show and she was talking to our choreographer. She was a black girl and she was like, mm -hmm. Danae was a princess up there. I didn't know that we could be princesses. I wrote that down because yeah. it, 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 sometimes it's important and it's helpful to make it bigger than yourself. What is the biggest thing that Hollywood can learn from Broadway? Oh, I have a lot of thoughts. I just feel like theater's always been ahead of the curve with the way that we cast things and the way that we write things. and just deconstructing a theater and telling a story in a completely different way and not stuck on what's, well, will this sell and who, and even if it's not on Broadway, just the things that happen in theater and the idea of the roles that you guys are doing, these two strong female characters that are historical stories to tell. And for me, and I mean, the Hamiltons of the world happened far before anyone in film gets the idea that we're allowed to do this. There is a real feeling of community. Mm -hmm. That kind of feeling in the world that I've grown up in, in Hollywood, doesn't exist. It's way too uh, competitive. There's a feeling of, well, if you have a hit show, then what's going to happen to my hit show? You know? They and, say like um, in the early days, maybe it was more when Hollywood was actually a small little town. But maybe. Now, when there's much more all... of a feeling of rooting for each other. Right. There is a feeling of, here of everybody's kind of rooting for each Absolutely. other. Absolutely. Uh, and going, hooray, good work yeah, happened. Yeah, right. I can't hooray! Wait. I, mean, I can't it's wait a miracle. I can't wait to get there. It's right. a miracle that good work happens. Yeah. And, and it's real, yeah. and, and real and true. What would you be doing if you were not an actor? I don't know. A minister. Okay. I have no idea. Maybe some sort of like political correspondent. I have no idea. I wouldn't be. Yeah. If I could really be good at it, you know, I'd like to be a great florist. I kill every orchid that anyone I ever sends me. But there's something I sort of love about the idea of being around flowers. And I'm a terrible cook, so I'd love to be a great cook. Well, those are things just you can learn. But you can't no. learn to be a great actor. Be helped no. along the way. You can be helped along the way, but there is something way. else. There is an ingredient that you either have or you don't. Well, thank you for giving up one of the Mondays when you could have pursued these other things. Uh, <laughs> and uh, we really appreciate you doing this. Congratulations, and thank you for tuning in. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.